Buttigieg comes to the role after being a candidate and himself as a candidate had a pretty ambitious transit plan in particular, as well as, you know, since this is the, the Bike Talk podcast, um, some ambitious goals for ending traffic violence on our streets and increasing multimodal access. I don't think you should ever count out a Midwestern mayor for sheer ingenuity. You know, the promises that he made as a candidate, it shows that, you know, he is at least talking to the right people because it was frankly, hands down, the most ambitious transportation plan of any of the Democratic candidates. Here is Kia Wilson. Hi, Kia. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? All right, so Kia, you wrote an article. I wanted to talk about Pete Buttigieg and what it means that he's the new Secretary of Transportation of the United States of America. You wrote this article on Streets Blog. What will Mayor Pete mean? for the U.S. Department of Transportation. Well, first of all, hi and, and welcome. And, and Thanks for uh, having me. Nice to see you. Thanks for agreeing to come on late, uh, short notice. Done. this is Kia Wilson. She writes for Streets Blog New York City. Although you live, you don't live in New York City. I was, I guess that's normal. Yeah, I actually write for Streets Blog USA, but New York copied over that particular piece because they thought it would resonate with their audience, so. Yeah, why? Why, why does it resonate for New York City? Well, I think the, the choice of um, Buddha judge for DOT is going to have ramifications for every single uh, city in the country, and in particular for transit-rich places like New York, but I'm not based in New York, as you mentioned. I'm actually based in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, Pete Buttigieg obviously comes from South Bend, Indiana, and has a little bit of a Midwestern perspective himself, and it'll be really interesting to see what he does in that role. Well, that's one of the things, there's a quote in your article, um, about about that says that this his appointment means that leaders from slow growing older industrial metros would set transportation policy and that perspective has been sorely missing from federal decision making for a long time. Although that was uh, not you who said that, but I have other quotes from you. What is that perspective? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, it's my perspective in part. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm in St. Louis. Um, my mom actually lives about 30 miles outside of South Bend. So I know the context that Buttigieg is coming from well. And I think that, you know, transit poor and just straight up poor metros are where the majority of Americans live. Um, it is certainly a perspective that is underrepresented in federal transit making decisions. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, what Buttigieg brings to that role. He, uh, you know, I, I detail this a little bit in my article, but Buttigieg comes to the role after being a candidate and himself as a candidate had a pretty ambitious transit plan in particular, as well as, you know, since this is the, the Bike Talk podcast, um, some ambitious goals for ending traffic violence on our streets and increasing multimodal access. Um, and I think that comes, you know, I can only assume from growing up a lot like I did in a place where you really crave the freedom that comes with increased mobility options because we live in car dependent places where it's really challenged to get around anywhere you know any way besides on four wheels so it'll be interesting to see what he actually does when he's in office i can only speculate about that um and so how did he have the chance to really get a lot of i mean he doesn't have a ton of experience right or because how much goes on in a small 
I mean, I, I don't know if that's the right way to, to put it, but you, like one thing you said is that, that there was a lot of uh, debate about you know, whether it was a good thing or not. So it seems like the consensus on bike Twitter is it is a good thing, um, but he doesn't have experience. You know, that's definitely been the question about Buttigieg that I've seen lobbied around, which is that, you know, there are a lot of people specifically on the transition team for transportation who folks really hoped would get this role. We're talking about Sarah Feinberg at the New York MTA. We're talking about um, Polly Trottenberg out of New York City. Eric Garcetti in LA, of course, is someone who as mayor has supervised a lot of like pretty major projects that have gotten a lot of press. And I think it was on a lot of people's wish list that we would see someone in the secretary role who came with that wealth of experience. Um, that said, I don't think you should ever count out a Midwestern mayor for sheer ingenuity. Um, I, I think that Buddha Judge, what's interesting about him to me is that he um, what he lacks in experience, he makes up for an enthusiasm, I would probably say. He, in his plan, wanted to increase funding for the Federal Transit Administration by 13 times. He wanted to go from, I think, $11 billion to $150 billion. Um, his experience is much more along the lines of the kind of humble investments that I think us in the bike and walk world really want to see. He invested a whole lot into the downtown in South Bend towards improving walkability, bikeability, and act multimodal access. Um, what he couldn't do in transit was probably because frankly of the Indiana state government, which is notoriously transit hostile. Um, and the secretary role is often in the position of making a value proposition to Congress and liaisoning with those groups more than doing the nitty gritty. I think what's gonna be really interesting is to see who becomes his deputy secretaries, who gets on his staff, who's gonna actually be doing the nitty gritty of um, selecting recipients of those discretionary grants that are so crucial. And I, I personally am cautiously optimistic that his lack of experience is a signal that he's a blank slate and will not be as controlled as, for instance, Elaine Chow, the sitting secretary, by highway interests, by the thinking of uh, state DOTs, which tend to favor highway spending above pretty much everything else. Well, he, I mean, he may be a blank slate in a lot of ways, but he's also like you said, he's he's more aggressive on unraveling car culture than the president to whom he'll soon report. So he does have a he does have a, um, a you know he's going in a certain direction. And um, he had a great quote about um, subsidizing cars. He says something like, "Why why are you worried about subsidizing transit? You know, we've been when we've been subsidizing cars." Or do you remember that quote that he said? Yeah, it was at the CNN Climate Summit and on the campaign trail in 2019. It was something to the effect of, um, if you say that we can't build trains, think about all the ways that we subsidize driving, which is the most carbon intensive thing that we can do. Um, I think that Buttigieg really gets it in terms of the importance of mode shift to ending climate change, which is often overlooked, I find, in democratic circles. Democrats as a party tend to favor electrification of the vehicle fleet, which of course is a really core important part of how we're going to end our transportation related emissions in this country. But a lot of studies have shown that you can't do it with electric cars alone and being bullish on mode shift um, in particular, shifting people to things like transit walking and biking is pretty much the only way we're ever going to get to net zero by 2050, which is what scientists say we gotta do in order to save the world. So um, I think Buttigieg understands that. I think the other thing that's very interesting 
about him is uh, he had a National Vision Zero goal in his presidential uh, energy plan that he released when he was on the campaign trail, which I think is unusual to see Democrats talking about the traffic violence impacts of car dependence rather than just the emissions impacts of car dependence. It's very rare. Um, I have no idea if he's going to actually deliver on that promise since he's not the president. He's not the one ultimately setting the, the big picture agenda, but he clearly is a candidate who understands that traffic violence is a preventable phenomenon and can with robust policy and investment be ended in this country as it has in other countries. I guess I'm wondering how he got this understanding of traffic violence in uh, South Bend, is that, I mean, I don't even know what South Bend is, so. Yeah, I mean, I know a little bit about South Bend um, and I will say I know a lot more about just small Midwestern towns. I, I wanna say, first of all, us of us in the Midwest, we leave sometimes, you know, Buttigieg has lived abroad. He was a Rhodes Scholar, he lived in Chicago, which again, is in the Midwest. Um, uh, South Bend as a metropolis, it has a, population of about 100,000. A lot of those are students. It's home to Notre Dame. They have, I think, 18 bus lines. They're very small and an Amtrak, or not an Amtrak line, but a uh, commuter rail line that goes from Chicago called the South Shore Line. Um, he has been pushing really, he pushed really hard as mayor to try to get that into the downtown, did not succeed. It's pretty hard to build transit in the Midwest. Um, I'm a major transit advocate who writes about transit every day. And I very rarely ride the bus or the train in my particular city because it doesn't serve my needs. And I think that's where a lot of mid-size and small Midwesterners are kind of at. That doesn't mean we aren't big nerds for it. It <laughs> doesn't mean we aren't, um, constantly pushing and lobbying for policies that will make those things more accessible to more places. I am actually pretty excited about the idea of a small town mayor who has the ability and perspective to say, what's it gonna take to level up a city with 18, 16 bus lines into a place with perhaps a small regional rail system, perhaps with bus rapid transit, perhaps with a few more mode options that are going to get people out of um, private vehicles a little bit more. One of the programs that was pretty controversial for Pete was he connected a lot of people with ride hailing services because he recognized that he didn't have the money in his budget to get them on transit lines because he couldn't provide frequent bus service. And that did connect people with some jobs. And I'm actually pretty agnostic about um, those sorts of solutions at a South Bend kind of a scale. So I think he is someone who thinks a little bit outside of the box to the real challenges of what it's gonna to take to get people where they need to go without having to personally own a vehicle, which in a lot of small cities is kind of the, the next step that you can take. So um, where he learned about it, I don't know, but the guy has, a he went to Harvard. <laughs> um, he's lived in Cambridge. I, I feel like I'm sounding like a Buddha judge show right now. I'm sure that there are things that he uh, has a lot to learn about when it comes to grant making and uh, the nitty gritty of this stuff. But a lot of the folks that I talked to uh, who, wanted to speak off the record about the transition so that that's the kind of stuff that really deputies are for. He really needs to be able to make the sales pitch to Congress that vehicle electrification isn't the only thing that we should do and that we don't need to just trade electric car dependence um, for our traditional gas powered car dependence. There are more choices available to us. We just did a show on that, on how uh, there was some, uh, sometimes I just try to, I, when I see something on Twitter that people are arguing about, I, I wanna get it, I wanna talk about it here. And people were talking about electric vehicles 
um, not, you know, being held up as a solution was uh, not adequate. And other people were saying, well, how can you say that? We need electric vehicles. So a lot of people don't understand that the fine points there about just car dependence and electric vehicles not being a solution to that. But I guess Pete, Pete does. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, he's going to play an important role in the electrical, electric vehicle rollout for sure. So will um, Biden's energy secretary, Democrat Granholm, who's the former governor of Michigan and definitely speaks automaker. Um, so it'll be an interesting, it will be interesting to see what they center. I'm not anti-electric car. I don't think anyone that I know at Streetsblog is anti-electric car. I don't think our reporting is anti-electric car, but I am also sensitive to why people who hear doubts about why we should decenter electric cars in our climate strategy get a little bit uptight because there have been such aggressive and relentless attacks from the right on fuel emission standards, even on gas-powered cars, much less getting to net zero. They're a critical part of how we're going to and climate change, they just aren't everything. And I think scientists have known that for a while, more and more studies are proving that the challenges, not just of mass adoption, cash for clunkers, all those good things, but of actually outfitting the grid is gonna be really, really challenging. It's certainly not going to be done during Biden's term time in office. And there are a lot of things we could do right now to cut emissions right now. And it has to do with getting people onto other modes. I, on the show, some people were saying we well, need to reduce driving by 25% if it's this year, but if we wait another year, it's like 30%, and then if you wait another year, it's 40%, but like the amount you have to stop reduce driving goes up every year that you wait to get there. Is that, yeah. Um, well, what else is going on? <laughs> I'm looking at a map right now. This is Don. How, how you doing? I got to the show late. Uh, I'm looking at a map right now of South Bend, and it has that typical, or the satellite view, and it has that typical downtown, blown out, like parking lot crater look of <laughs> a lot of cities. But I'm guessing that South Bend was probably an old stop on the railroad on the way to Chicago from the East Coast. Oh, so that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, based on where I see it on the map here, I've never actually looked at it before. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. looking at and strip malls on Google Street View all of a sudden. It's pretty funny. <laughs> pretty gross places to eat there. But there are some really lovely people. I've, I've spent a lot of time in South Bend, and I really enjoy it. Okay. All right. Isn't South Bend basically IU land? It's like, you know, students and student-related businesses and stuff that cater to them. Yeah, so IU is in Bloomington, but it's Notre Dame land for sure. Um, oh, Notre yeah. Dame. Wrong school. No worries, you're close. <laughs> Big football <laughs> schools, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's a university town and it's very much centered around that. It does have a core downtown um, that's very small in scale for sure. Uh, but it's a pretty typical, I think what they call a second tier Midwestern city, 100,000 people on a good day. A lot of them are students. A lot of them are around that university ecosystem. But I find that a lot of those university towns are really the ones making the most out of really, really small budgets to improve walking and biking because they recognize that it's the highest return on investment. Mm. Well, if you're, a student, if you're a student too, you're not coming in with a car for the four years you're there. 
So you're walking, you're taking the bus, you're, so that would be perfect for walking, biking, busing, transit. But why so much parking then? <laughs> well, this I'm just looking at the downtown area by the river, by the Joseph River and Jefferson Boulevard, kind of around that area. It's massive amounts of parking. It's it's sort of like this disease that's happened in a lot of uh, cities around the country where old buildings are leveled and then they just make it into a parking lot for like an adjacent like office building because of you know zoning laws and so forth so it looks like it has that problem and it could benefit in the future from getting rid of uh parking minimum laws and things like that mm -hmm. for development i have great news for you don buddha judge did that <laughs> really in yeah. south bend yeah about half of the city um has no mandatory parking minimums and the other half had reduced mandatory parking minimums it was one of his platforms um, okay that's a great a clue <laughs> it's, it's and he also did some stuff that i think most you know people who refer to themselves as urbanists would think of as pretty pretty sweet he manda he uh legalized accessory dwelling units citywide. He uh, did some like tactical things at certain intersections, some of which are controversial. I think a lot has been said on Twitter about a particular car crash that involved the death of a seven-year-old boy that Buddha did not respond very well to. And what, what was, uh, talk about that some more, give us some more details on that. Yeah, I mean, the, the long and short of it, I don't know a lot of the detail of it. It's just something that a lot of tweet people have tweeted at me in the last yeah since I wrote this article was um, as part of the Smart Streets Initiative, Buttigieg did a lot of um, intersection redesign. He removed a traffic light from a four-way stop near school and was planning on doing, I think, like curb extensions there, something as an alternative. And in the time between when the traffic light came down and the new improvement went up, a kid died there. And the way he responded to it was terrible. He said the kid darted out into the street and it wasn't his fault. Um, that said, I appreciate any mayor that's at least acknowledging the role of vehicle design at all in uh, these things. I, I think that individual decisions and individual talking points from a certain mayor aren't necessarily indicative of someone's entire policy platform. I think a lot of the Buddha judges' decisions are getting put under a microscope right now because his resume is short when it comes to city governance um, and it's non-existent when it comes to state governance. But um, the thing I keep coming back to are you know, the promises that he made as a candidate, it shows that, you know, he is at least talking to the right people because it was frankly, hands down the most ambitious transportation plan of any of the democratic candidates. He wasn't wow. no choice for uh, that, for that role for president um, because of his other platforms, frankly, but when it came to transportation, it was pretty solid. Hmm. Okay. That's promising. Well, uh, We'll keep a positive outlook for that one when based on what we hear so far. When are you going to write for Streets Blog, Don? I write every off, every so often for Streets Blog. You I do, do a, yeah, Streets Blog LA. I have, I have like maybe 10 articles up there over the years. We take guest submissions, so hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm always, um, it's Damian Newton uh, will sometimes, uh, I don't know how it happens, but I end up writing an article. But uh, I'd like to do more 
I really like going after the LADOT here and, and they, uh, they have responded to some of my articles. So I think, I think, uh, I'm more on the uh, side of, of, uh, really pestering city agencies versus um, trying to be friendly with them, I guess. You're doing the Lord's work. So thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So that's promising for, for Buttigieg. And you're, you're coming from St. Louis, Missouri, right? Yeah. So now that was also, that's known as a train town. What do you think the prospects are in terms of, you know, uh, Biden and Amtrak? Do you think uh, he's going to bring some money to Amtrak is because he's been boosting for them forever, right? Yeah, I mean, very famously, Biden's nickname is Amtrak Joe. He rode the train to uh, Washington for many, many years. And I think another thing that gets overlooked in Biden's story is that he's actually going to be the first traffic violence widow who's ever going to hold Oval Office. He lost his first wife and his baby daughter to a car crash um, the day before he was elected. He, or he wow. was inaugurated to state office in Delaware. Um, I, I wrote an article about that that examines some ways that I think he you know, has internalized that and made it a part of his mission to end traffic violence um, and in some ways he hasn't, and I wish he had pushed further. Today's actually the anniversary of his wife and daughter's death. So it's on my mind. Wow. As we record uh -huh. this. Um, in terms of like what Joe's gonna be able to put forward, that's the million dollar question or the multi-trillion dollar question, is <laughs> a little bit more accurate. Um, it's, it all comes down to, we've had a really hard time passing infrastructure bills in this country for a really long time. Trump did not do it. Um, the FAST Act is our current surface transportation bill, um, which includes very limited funding for uh, biking, walking transit, and particularly Amtrak. Um, that is on a one-year extension. So basically the clock starts ticking as soon as Biden gets inaugurated and the new Congress um, gets inaugurated to pass a new one. We had a promising uh, uh, infrastructure bill in the Invest Act earlier this year. It was DOA in the Senate because of Republicans. <laughs> um, and we had another bill that was sort of, it was an infrastructure bill that Mitch McConnell pretty famously called a Green New Deal dressed up as an infrastructure bill that also died. I think a lot hinges and on Georgia um, to say what, what Joe, Joe Biden's going to do is going to depend on what the Republicans are going to stonewall right. is what it all comes down to. I'm optimistic that it's really a pet issue of his. It's a passion of his. Um, it was of Obama as well, and he didn't do it, so we'll find out. <laughs> but I, I think that the intention is there. It's just whatever's going to shake out um, between all the levers of power. Do you get the feeling that Republican opposition comes because it's just they don't want to spend money? Or is it that they see the policy and they're like, okay, this is too... This is too pro transportation. We need more car centric because it seems like the mood of the country is to kind of get away from car centric design, at least in, you know, in cities and, and so forth. And, you know, why, why are Republicans so reticent to spend money on infrastructure? Um, well, Republicans aren't reticent to spend money on infrastructure. They're reticent to spend money on any infrastructure but highways. I mean, there have been right, some okay. interesting studies about 
Um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there's a guy who wrote a really great book and uh, Greg Schill repubbed a little, a, a couple of perspectives from it on his Twitter that I really thought were thoughtful about how Republicans almost unilaterally resort infrastructure spending when it comes to laying asphalt for cars because they tend to represent rural communities where robust rail investment, robust bus investment, biking and walking doesn't make as much sense um, economically and in terms of a use perspective. Um, so the reason why we've stalled on passing infrastructure in this country for so long is because Republicans don't see the cost benefit of having trains that their particular communities would not benefit from. Um, that said, I think that that's not unilaterally true. I mean, I live in a red state with two red senators that has, um, you know, the Kansas City rail line just got on the other side of Missouri, just got a pretty hefty bang in FTA grant today to finish our streetcar line. Um, I think there are a lot of examples of where rural transit makes a lot of sense. And it's just sort of the optics of how are you going to get as much as you can for your particular state and what investment makes the most sense for your population. So that's why a lot of the conversation about not just um, like transit investment, but also land use and urbanization within these communities makes a whole lot of sense. Um, another policy proposition that doesn't get talked about as much, but that I would really love to see happen would be like a federal, um, oh, what's it called? Like the East Coast Greenway, a federal Greenway Act. So it'd be really exciting and could possibly drum up some support from some of those red rural states. But um, because we have a representative democracy with rural states that holds equal voting power, you know, you guys in California have less representation in Senate, per capita but they have they have more voting power they get per individual right yeah by a large so, margin yeah um, a close friend of mine moved from san francisco to wyoming recently and she was like okay cool so now like what my senator thinks matters like 15 times as much all of a sudden <laughs> you know because i fled san francisco um so it, it's a challenging puzzle to solve but you know, COVID recovery, it's gonna really depend on infrastructure. And I think if there's any time that we're gonna do it, it has to be soon because mm -hmm. the economy needs it. Oh, Kia, thank you so much for, for coming on short notice. This is, yeah. this is great to have you. Thank you all for having me on. Um, fan of the show, appreciate you guys. Take care. Take care. Shows I care Every turn of the pedal Cleans the air Green in the green I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas A tiny carbon footprint Up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk If you want to hear more Go to kpfk.org navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 